All right, let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. And we, of course, pray for ears that will hear. Lord, uh, more than just uh, information, my prayer is for revelation. That we would hear your word, that it would sink deep into our hearts and bring revelation to us. God, we're so thankful that you spent 1,600 years writing a love letter to us in this generation. Thank you that we can look into your word and hear what you have to say, hear your heart for us in our lifetime. Lord God, we give you praise and honor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <clears throat> well, I'm honored that I get to teach tonight and then next time. Um, so I kind of have two standalone messages, even though this one tonight is actually a continuation of a thought I had a few months ago. And I've been wanting to teach this particular teaching for some time. Uh, I, I actually typed it out last night, but I knew in, in my mind and in my heart, I knew I wanted to teach this. So I'm excited about getting to do that tonight. The problem with thinking about it that long is there may be no end. I'm not sure. We'll find out before we get through. No, seriously, I, I don't have a ton, I don't think, but I never know till I get into it how much we have. I'm going to begin by going to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And this is probably one of those verses you have underlined in your Bible, and so it'll be pretty familiar to you. Philippians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What that's saying is we're not supposed to worry. Okay, when, when it says be careful for nothing, it's saying don't worry about anything. Now, when I first got spirit-filled back in the 70s, 1970s, um, we never said the phrase take care. You know, because this verse, I mean, we thought, no, we, you, you take care for nothing. And so if they're walking away, you didn't say take care because we'd, we'd say, no, I, I take care for nothing. And so, so we had, that was just something we didn't say, and people were offended. I mean, they, they were offended. We, we were offended if somebody said, now, y'all take care. We're like, no, no, because we're never going to take care. Well, you know, we were, of course, ignorant in those days, as we're ignorant about some things today. But in the New Testament, there are two words for care. Sometimes when it says care, it's talking about worry. Sometimes when it's talking about care, it means to think about or be interested in something. Now, in life, the, the, we've got to make sure that as believers, we don't cross that line from thinking about it to worrying about it. Because sometimes when you think and think and think and think and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, it goes from thinking about it to worrying about it. So we can't do that. The Amplified Bible reads that verse this way. It says, do not fret or have anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, definite request with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. So in this passage, we're right to not take the care because it's talking about worrying. We're not to worry. Okay. In some modern translations in verses like this, it, it has phrases like try not to worry or or. Uh, do your best not to worry. If you look in the original language here, it doesn't say that. It says, don't worry. Don't worry. So I'm going to talk about worry again. I talked about it last time, months ago, but we're going to add to it just a little bit tonight. So, let me add, so based on that verse, what should we worry about? 
Nothing. Nothing. It's like, man, that's irresponsible. No, that's Bible. Okay, the scripture says we're not supposed to worry. Now let me read you from 1 Peter 5, verse 7. You probably know this one as well. The scripture says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now this is both of those Greek words for care in one sentence. Okay, the first one says, Casting all your care is talking about worry, for he cares is talking about thinks about, uh, is interested in you. The Amplified says it this way, Casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. So we're not to worry because he has taken an interest in us. Okay, uh, Years ago, many years ago, I think Tammy and I had just gotten married back in the days when they had the full gospel businessmen's meetings. And they were everywhere. We went to one at Trinity one time. We never were members of Trinity in those days. But we went to this one. And there was a guy there. I, I just remember his name was Drummond Tom. Anybody were there that time? Okay. When Drummond Tom was there, he was from like South Africa or something. And I'll never forget. I still hear his voice saying. He says, the Lord says, when I worry, you can worry. <laughs> And so we need to understand that's when we can worry. If he gets worried, we can be worried. He, the Lord has never, the Father has never turned to Jesus and said, man, that worries me. You know, the scripture says we're to cast all of our care, all of our worry. We're supposed to give it all to him. Okay, how do you know if you're worried? Here's it. Here it is. The scripture says in 1 John 4, 8, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If you're tormented by the thought, it's worry. Is that a pretty good definition right there? If you're tormented, the scripture says in 1 John 4, 8 and 4, 16, God is love. There is no fear in God. None. It's interesting. Every time an angel spoke and the Old Testament, most time when a prophet spoke, they always begin with these two words, fear not, because we tend to fear what we don't understand. And so they would always say, fear not. And why, why would they have to say that? I'm going to tell you why. Because fear gives place to the enemy. Fear opens a door to the enemy. It's always interesting to me that God knows what we're going through, and yet he says, fear not. Because in fear, there is torment. In worry, there is torment. By the way, worry is a, is a form of fear. Because if I'm worried, I'm in fear about it. Because it torments me. And so fear not, God says that, so I won't let the devil in. And when he commands us, fear not. Sometimes it's like, well, I can't help it. Again, I can see God and Jesus up there. He says, fear not. And I say, but I can't help it. He says, Jesus, he can't help it. <laughs> Poor thing. No, no. In his command... There is the enablement to obey the command. His word contains the miracle power to accomplish what his word says. 
It has the enablement. It has the empowerment. God's Word is able. The Word is the miracle power needed to accomplish what it says. I mean, that's, that's powerful what I just told you. The Word is able. If I simply take it and believe what it says. Again, the, the modern translations that say, try not to worry, or do your best not to be afraid. That implies that, that, that God doesn't know if I'm able to do what he said. God knows that we're able. So, why do people worry? Why do you worry? Isn't this good so far? Many people are highly skilled at worry. I mean to tell you, their families have been worriers for generations. I, mean, I, I can tell you, in my family, my mom will tell you, I'm just a worrier. Your grandma was a worrier. Your great-grandma was a worrier. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so, so we have multi-generations. It's been passed down from generation to generation. And, and, and I, I looked at my mom and I said, so do you think I'm supposed to worry? She says, well, I guess not because you don't ever worry about anything. And I said, you're exactly right. I'm just going with her confession right there. I mean, people are so highly skilled. After all, we think every good mom worries, right? I mean, worry proves that I care. No, no, worry doesn't prove you care. It just proves you have no faith. Ouch, that hurt, didn't it? <laughs> worry is yielding to fear instead of trusting in God. You can either say, oh me, or you can say amen, but one of the two is what needs to be said here. Our, our, our Christian life, everything about us begins with believing. Can I just tell you tonight, the Word of God is right, always. If the circumstance defies the Word, it's the circumstance that has to change. Because the Word is going to be the same from now on. Heaven and earth might pass away, but the Word of God will stand forever. Okay, there, Two things are leaving this planet intact. People and the Word of God. I mean, nothing else around you. Listen, this house isn't going to go with us. Nothing. People and the Word. So, so all of our all of our worry, all of all of those things, we are. The Bible tells us that we're to be anxious for nothing. We're to cast all of our care over on Him. Okay. So, why do people worry? Two reasons people worry. Then we're going to look at some fun scriptures here in just a minute. Number one. People worry because they don't know what's important. Yeah, my kids are important. That's not why you're worried. What people fail to see is what God sees as important. We worry because we don't see what he sees. Number two, people worry because they fail to learn to take authority over their thoughts. They simply take every thought that comes their way rather than resisting the ones that contradict the word. The scripture says if we resist the devil, if we submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. The same is true with thoughts. We can resist them and they have to go. So I'm going to talk more about that as we go along tonight. All right. Look, listen to this verse. This is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. 
We're going to jump right into this. This is going to be fun. Jesus said, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. The question is, well, what does that have to do with worry? Well, you're going to see in just a minute. It's not a mystical verse. If you're, it says the light of the body is the eye. Here's what he's saying. It simply means that light enters through the eye. If your eye is closed or if your eye is damaged, you don't get light. It doesn't enter. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying our eye must be single. He's talking about what we focus on has to be one thing. We have to see one thing. And he's going to to talk more about it. We're going to read it in just a second. The eye must be single. The word single means not woven or braided together with something else. To be, have a single vision, to see one thing, means I'm not looking at this and that. I'm not looking at the word and the circumstance at the same time. He's saying the eye has to be single. Now, what's, what would be different than single? Double. Duo would be the Greek word for double. The word duo in the Greek means double. It's also the word translated doubt. Looking here and there, looking at the word and looking at, at the circumstance is duo. It's doubt. That's what the word is translated as doubt, is the word duo. It, it means to waver. It's impossible to waver if there's just one choice. Can't waver. One choice. There's, there's, a, there's a restaurant, I think, I think it's somewhere in the Metroplex. They serve one thing, fried chicken. If you go in the restaurant, no wavering. One thing. What do you want? Fried chicken. That is your only choice, fried chicken. You know, I remember used to when I was younger, Tammy and I would go, she doesn't go much there anymore, but we used to go to Furs Cafeteria. She wavered. There were way too many choices. We had, and I just would say, get them all. You can get all of them. And she's like, no, I have to get this one. or the, Which one do I want? She would waver. <clears throat> when there's just one choice, there's no wavering. You just, that's what you got to get. One thing. We have a steakhouse here in town, and, and, if, and it's, they serve steaks and barbecue. But if you want a steak, they only serve one kind, ribeye. That's all you get. Ribeye. You can either get it a half inch, an inch, or no, maybe it's an inch, inch and a half and two inches. The, the only choice you have is how thick you want it. But if you, the kind of steak is, is ribeye. That's all you get. You can't waver. They're not going to come and say, what kind of steak would you like? I want a ribeye. You can't waver. If it's just one thing, there is no wavering. If, if, you, if you're looking at just one thing, man, it's easy. There's no wavering. Let me read this verse in context. Jesus said, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. He's still talking about the same thing. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, this is a connected thought, isn't it? He said, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? It's therefore to let you know that what he just said is a part of this. Therefore, I say to you, 
Take no thought for your life. Therefore, he said, don't worry. Don't worry. Therefore, here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying, if you're trying to focus on more than one thing, on what God said, or the problems that you have, you have double vision here. That's duo, and that's going to result in anxiety. He said, you've got to focus on one thing. You can't serve God and money. Now, you can serve God and have money, but you can't serve God and serve money. He said, you can serve one or the other. You get to choose. Which one would you like to serve? You can only serve one master. You can't serve duo. You can only serve one. All right. He said, there's a connection here. There's a connection here with being single-sighted and worry. Did y'all just see that? The idea of worry doesn't begin in verse 25 when Jesus said, take no thought. It began in verse 22 when he said, your eye has to be single. He's talking about seeing one thing. So how do we not worry? We've got to be single-sighted so we don't have to take an anxious thought. This is learning how to understand what is important. What's important? I mean, I know you figured this out. The kingdom of God is not focused on material things. They're not that important in the kingdom. It's not the most important time. Many things, we get worried about things that aren't really all that important. I mean, Jesus goes on to say, what are we going to eat? Well, what are we going to wear? I wonder if I can grow an inch. I wonder, he's talking about all these things that we worry about that aren't all that important. Sometimes, sometimes we're kind of like a little kid who has a dolly and the arm gets pulled off the dolly. And the kid begins to cry because the dolly's arm is pulled off. And it's so sad. But it's not really that big of a deal. What's sad is when you're 50, 60, or 70 and you're crying because your dolly got its arm pulled off. <laughs> and yet I think to God, a lot of the whining and the worrying is just like that. It's like, that's not that important. Think about the kingdom. We've got to make his priority our priority. We've got to learn to see what he sees. We need to value what he values. I mean, it's according to Jesus in that passage, if we read all of it, it's futile to worry about the clothes, the food, our stature. Our father is much bigger than all of those things. And if I know him, if I trust him, I understand that. i got to be focused on what he does. Listen, the scripture, Jesus tells us that he kind of clothes the mountainside. He clothes the planet. I mean, we need to be focused on how big our father is. He's big and he's rich. Verse 31 of that chapter, Jesus said, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? It says, O ye of little faith. The, word, the phrase little faith means puny faith. 
It means, it means someone who lacks confidence in God and his ability to save. We don't need to have puny faith. He says, he says, don't take a thought saying. Can I tell you, you can tell what's in your head by what comes out of your mouth? I, I can tell you where you are just by what you say. When thoughts and words are, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And that's just looped over and over in your mind and in your mouth with thoughts about the kids, about the house, about the grandkids, about money. All that is doing is you are reinforcing the fear and making a choice to not believe what God said. When the thoughts of doubt are allowed to continue over and over again, we become, O ye of little faith. This is really good, I think. <laughs> what we need to do, according to Jesus, consider the lilies. Look at something different than the problem. Consider who God is. Consider him. We need to take authority over our thoughts. Sometimes believers just need to change the channel in their mind. You know, you're laying there in bed and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know what you need to do? Get up and go look in the mirror and start talking to yourself with what the word of God says. Well, I don't know what it says. Pick up the Bible and read to yourself from what the Word says. You've got to change the channel. You've got to change the channel. Listen, the planet, this planet, and everything that is in it, the Scripture says is going to melt with a fervent heat. That is global warming. I'm going to tell you right there. <laughs> it is going to happen. It's going to melt with a fervent heat. Our job is to finish our course here and go there. We're not taking any of this with us. It's not to worry. God has us here on assignment. I mean, we are, we are his children. We are his assigned men and women. We are here for his purpose. This is what I know. If you're in the army, no soldier makes payments on his Humvee. It's like, man, i got to kill the enemy and make the payment. No, they don't have to do that. They don't make a payment on their airplane. I mean, we don't, we don't go to war here at our own charge. He, if, if it's his will, it's his bill. If I'm doing what he called me to do, he's got to take care of it. It's up to him. Why would I have to worry about that? Why would I worry about that? I talked to a man one time, and he's telling me this story. Uh, he owned a car dealership in, in a town up in the Panhandle, and he was a friend of George Herbert Walker Bush. And he was telling me that he and, and President Bush were, were uh, on an aircraft carrier together, both pilots. And he was telling me how that they were taken off one day. And he said, because he, he was telling me about the first Rolex he ever owned. And he said, this Rolex, and he was a young pilot. And he said he took the watch off and he put it on the kind of the dash or whatever of the airplane. And he said he took off, and he said that plane didn't fly. It just went down in the water. And he said, it just sank. He said he got out of it. Of course, everything was fine. But he said, he said I was more worried about my watch than I was about the airplane. He said, the government was paying for the plane. I had to pay for the watch. <laughs> well, the reality is, if we're doing what God said, he's paying for the plane. He's paying for all of it. I mean, it, 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 he sponsors me if I'm following him. This is what I know. We have a lot of great things here. My good stuff, it's in heaven. It's not here. <laughs> 
All of my good stuff is there. God is making me a home there, making me a mansion that's going to be beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, while I'm here, I'm just doing his job, and he will take care of me if I just follow his path. He is Jehovah Jireh. We like to say the Lord who provides. Literally, it's the Lord who sees. I mean, he provides. He's provision. He sees it. He already knows. He sees. We must see. We've got to have a single vision. This is one thing I know about God. It's like, oh, God, we've got to pay this bill. He's like, really? I didn't know anything about it. He knows about, he knows about all of them. We're not going to surprise him. He will t- Why would we worry about that? We need to look at him, focus on him, and keep our vision clear. All right. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, It says, he that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. That's already an interesting statement to me. He that received, we're talking about the parable of the sower now, just jump to something different. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. He that receiveth the seed among the thorns heareth the word. Now, the parable of the sower, you know it. The the sower sows the word, is what Jesus said. Some of it falls along the wayside, some on stony ground, some among the thorns, and some on good ground. The seed that falls on the good ground produces a hundred, sixty, and thirtyfold. Now, we all know we want to be the one that gets the hundredfold return, all right? So far, only 25% of the ground gets a good crop. And of that crop, we got three different options. Okay, Verse 22 here, though, it said that the one who heard the word, the one who heard the word and it fell among the thorns is heard the same word as the one who got it on good soil. They heard the same word, the same word, and it produced in one. Here's what we like to say. Nothing is more powerful than the word of God. Not according to that verse. The one thing that will stop the word is your worry. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Man, that overcomes the word in your life. It will choke out the word's results. Hearing isn't enough. You've got to keep it, and you've got to keep with it long enough so it produces it. Weeds will overcome the word if you don't tend to the word. This is really fun for me. In the same soil, moisture comes to the good seed just like it comes to the bad seed. If the weeds in the garden, though, get fed, they'll grow big enough to block the sun from the good seed. I mean, it'll steal the nutrients, it'll steal the water in the same soil. If you water the weeds, they grow. The only way the cares of the world can choke out the word of God is if we feed them and water them with worry. It's a matter of choosing what I think. If we feed the worry, it will grow. If we water fear, it will grow. We must learn to feed one thing, the Word of God, the promise He's made. To feed more than one thing is duo. 
It's two at once. Jesus said you've got to have a single eye. If the sun and the moisture gets to the good seed, it'll produce a good crop. If we're watering other things beside the word, we're going to have no harvest of the word. Man, when you hear, when you hear yourself saying, what if, what if, what about, what about, what if, what, instead of, thus saith the Lord, you're watering the weeds instead of the word. You're watering the wrong thing. You're turning the hose on the weeds. Just putting it right on the weeds so they'll grow. We water things by the way we think, by the way we talk, by the way we, what we focus on. The weeds always start small, but they'll get huge. They'll choke out the word if you don't put the herbicide of the word on them. you got to water the right thing. The word has to be the number one thing in the garden of my heart. i got to choose what God said and refuse the fear. Man, we got, we got to stop watering the wrong things. Let's say you're on your patio one evening. You're sitting out there, and a cat comes up. You're just out there. You're enjoying it, and the kitty comes up. Well, you you don't want a cat. Not, it's not that you don't like cats. You just don't want a cat. You don't need a cat. Now, if you're Gail, you take the cat. But the rest of us, <laughs> the re- you know, some of the rest of us, it's like it's like it's like oh, you're a sweet kitty, but I don't want a cat. Uh, you know, kitty, kitty, you're so oh, let me pet you for a minute. You're just oh, listen to him purr. He's so sweet. I don't want a cat. Now, kitty, you got to go. You cannot stay here, kitty. You cannot. Okay, I'll tell you what. I got one can of gourmet cat food, and I'll get that and I'll feed it to you, and then you got to go because I don't want a cat. So you feed the cat the can of gourmet cat food, and you go back on your patio the next night. Guess who's gonna be there? Kitty gonna be there. He's gonna be there. He's gonna be meow, meow, meow. No, no, kitty. I don't want a cat. I can't have. Oh, you are so cute, though. You are just so. Listen to him purr. He's so cute. I cannot have a cat. Okay, I got two cans of gourmet cat food, and I'm gonna give them to you. But then you've got to go. You cannot stay, kitty. You can't stay here. You go back on your patio the next night. Guess who's gonna be there? Kitty gonna be there again. And well, no, Kitty, no, I don't want a cat. Kitty, you got to go someplace else. Okay, I got three cans of gourmet cat food. Before long, you're feeding that Kitty five cans of gourmet cat food every single day. Then one day you find yourself laid on your patio and a 40-pound cat is on your chest. And you're like, no, Kitty, no, I don't want a cat. I don't want a cat. What you feed will grow. And get stronger. What you starve will get weaker. We can be single focused. We can focus on what God said. And we can feed it by what we say. By what we meditate on. Or we can feed the fear. Feed the worry. I mean, we can do that and it'll grow. And it'll be harder to get rid of once we start feeding it. I'll tell you, I'm telling you, people like my family, they're in the habit of worrying. They've been worrying for so long, they don't know what life would be like to not worry. I mean, if they weren't worried, they'd be worried because they're not worried. And because they've trained themselves to do that, we have to learn, we have to train ourselves to think a different way. I mean, the Lord said, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. But right before that, he said, let the wicked man forsake his thoughts. He said, take my thoughts. Take them. 
How do I do that? I meditate in what he said. Meditate in his promise. And I can change the way that I think if I'll just take his thoughts. The scripture says this in Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God working in me. He wants not just for me to will it and to do it. I got to be willing to let him do what he wants to do, to change the way I am. I've got to use my words and force them to line up with his words. I'm telling you, that's the hardest battle right there. When you start saying his word and every circumstance says the opposite of that. You've got to defy the circumstances of what he said. We cannot be split in our focus. We can't deny the existence of the bad things. I'm not saying that. We're not going to bury our heads in the sand. But by, by taking God's word, standing on God's word, I'm going to deny the power of the evil report to overtake my life. I choose a different thing. I've got to get my mind on life and not death. I've got to focus on him. I've got to learn how to encourage myself in the Lord. You know, the passage where David has to encourage himself in the Lord because they're getting ready to kill him. That wasn't his first time. He had practiced with that one. He knew what to do with it. You see, there's no room in my garden to water the worry weeds. I don't have that privilege. I can't water the worry weeds. I've got to take the word of God. I've got to get it on him. The word of God is alive. It's active and powerful. It'll divide between the good and the bad seeds. I've got to let that happen. Let me read you another passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 10. Look in verse 40. Luke 10 verse 40. And you know this story too. It says, But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. This is the story of Martha and Mary. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. <laughs> this is an amazing story to me. It says, Martha was cumbered about. This little phrase, cumbered about, means to drag all around. <laughs> or to be distracted with care. I mean, she is carrying, she is dragging care with her in the kitchen. She is irritated up to here. It says in verse, the next, it, says in, it, it, it says in another verse in Luke 21, 34, it says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. So that day come upon you unawares. It talks about being over, our heart being overcharged. The word overcharged means to be burdened or weighed down. We mustn't allow our hearts to be burdened or weighed down with the cares of this life. Jesus said when you're that way, you'll be spiritually unaware of what's going on around you. You won't even hear the voice of God. You won't even know what he's leading you to do. You can't even get out of it because your heart is overcharged. Man, people fill their, their hearts up with worry and worry and worry. And it's like getting in your car and putting it in, in park and just gunning it and running it at total maximum RPMs for as long as you can until it blows up. <laughs> and there are people that are like that. They are, they're, I mean, they are so consumed with the cares of this world. They're, they're running it. They're, they're, they're just overcharged. I mean, that's what Martha is. She is just overcharged. She's in there preparing the dinner. I mean, 
I mean, just get a picture of this. You, you probably all know people just like this. I mean, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were Jesus' best friends. Okay, I mean, when Jesus came to town, he stayed with them. They were his best friends as far as in, in the earth was concerned. She's at, he's been to their house many times. This isn't his first time there. He's at their house. Martha is fixing dinner. And Jesus is in the living room, I guess, like we're doing, teaching. And he's teaching the people. I mean, Mary is right in front of him. And she's listening to what he has. Can you just get the picture here? Martha's like slamming the drawers. <laughs> I mean, she she is... I mean, she's just like, Mary, 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 Mary. I mean, she is doing this thing. She is, I mean, the scripture tells us, the scripture tells us that that she was cumbered about with, she's dragging this around. She's, she's just overcharged. I mean, she's overloaded. She's doing all that stuff. What do you think in her mind the outcome of this is going to be? Jesus is talking. He's teaching. He's the Word, teaching the Word. Imagine how good this message is. He's teaching these people. And finally she gets it up to here. And she says, Jesus, would you tell Mary to come in here and help me? And I guess in her mind, she's thinking Jesus is going to say, Mary, Mary, get up from there and go help your sister. In her mind, I guess, I guess, I guess, that's, what she's, I guess that's what she thinks is going to happen. Here's the deal, though. Duo thinking doesn't think straight because it doesn't even know what's important. She thought it was okay to interrupt Jesus while he's teaching a lesson to people. This is an amazing story to me. I mean, don't you care? I mean, she's questioning his love for her because she's in the kitchen and Mary's not in there. And she thinks that that means that Jesus doesn't love her enough because he doesn't care that I'm in here doing all this stuff. Don't you care? And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, can I just tell you something? If the Lord repeats your name to you like that, just go ahead and get on your knees and go ahead and repent and say, Jesus, I am so sorry. Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Man, I mean, the word careful means anxious, worried. Troubled means she was disturbed. I mean, she was worried. What was she worried about? I guess she's worried about the jello and the turkey and (laughs) the corn. I don't know. She is worried about all the stuff, all the food. She is worried about it. I don't know if I can get the turkey ready at the same time as the cornbread. I don't know if I can do it. I mean, I don't know. Here's the thing. Martha doesn't know what's important. She doesn't understand. She is all about what shall we eat. Here's what amazes me. Why would she worry about the food? Surely she's heard or maybe even seen it in person when Jesus preached to the 5,000 and multiplied the loaves and fish. When he preached to the 4,000, multiplied the loaves and the fish. She at least knows about it. I mean, she, but she may have even been there. Jesus multiplied the food to the multitudes. Surely 
Surely she knows that. But all of a sudden, she's worried. She is worried about the food. What will we eat? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? She's looking at two things at one time. She's worried. She's troubled. She's not looking at the word. I love Jesus. You do too. He said, but one thing is needful. One thing. Not two. One thing. And Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. One thing. I'll tell you, we've got to get one thing. Martha had her hose watering the wrong thing. She was watering the trouble, watering the worry, watering the frustration, watering the wrong thing. And that thing was growing and blossoming in her life. But it was choking out the seed of the Word of God. One thing, Jesus said, is needful. There's one thing that's needful for you and me. When we're tempted to worry, when we're tempted to fret, one thing. We need to find what God has said. Look to our Father, who is bigger than all the bad guys out there, who's bigger than all the fears put together, who's more powerful than all of them. One thing is needful. And get our attention on the right thing. Our focus must be, what does the Bible say? What did God promise me? The scripture tells us that there are only, there are only two things that will never change. There are two immutable things it says. It says, this is in Hebrews, it says, it's his oath and his promise. His oath and his promise, the scripture says, are two immutable. You can look at those things, they will never change. They're immutable. What is, what is his oath? His oath was the covenant that was ratified in the blood. We need to get our attention on what did the blood of Jesus purchase for me. I'm redeemed by precious blood. I'm sanctified by precious blood. I mean, there are so many promises about the blood. Get my focus off of the problem onto the blood and the promise. The promise is his word. Focus on what the blood says and what the word says. We cannot allow the cares of this world to overcharge our hearts to the place that we're worried and, and all these things. We must take no thought. Don't take it. Don't take it. You don't have to take them all. Take what the word says. Listen, we need to feed what we want and starve what we don't want. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you that we can be single-visioned. Lord, that we can take your word, that we can believe what you've promised us, and we can stand on that. And Father, we can start now changing the way we've been thinking, changing the way we've been talking. Lord, we want to be disciples of yours. We want your word to produce what it says in our lives. I give you thanks tonight, Lord, that this is doable. This is for us to do. Everyone in this room, we can do that. And we believe you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.